Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. Preparing to live stream. We're doing it. We are live back at the regularly scheduled time, 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. Daylight savings changing everywhere, so I have no idea where we are. We'll be an hour earlier next week because it's daylight savings ends here. Ah. fall backwards um, so you get a little bit of a sleep in that's always good if you want to listen to this live it's the acquirers podcast channel on youtube just click some links how are you fellas smash that subscribe button smash that subscribe smash button. it <laughs> i'm all right it's well. this little uh rally from growth value uh whatever the opposite of a rally is uh Affecting anybody's positive mental attitude? Never. The value nap. <laughs> There's somebody sending us a note from Belgium, Belgium in 1832. Hey, oh. thanks. Time machine. Thank you. We've got the Hofstein and Valley Stock Geek. Everybody's in the house. Brown Marabuzu. I never know how to say that, brother. You have to tell me how to say that. <laughs> Heavy hitters. What's this up? South Carolina. Nice. Um, what topics have we got today, gents? JT, what do you got? I've got uh, a little decision-making framework that I recently stumbled across that might be kind of interesting. So we will we'll get into that. Interessante. Yeah. Baby, Maybe what you got? I got uh, Rich Pazina's Q3 note came out. A couple of nice things about very cheap stocks being very good right now or good right now so i'm uh, going to be talking about that a little bit i got two two quotes two pull quotes we can show on i don't know where i'm going i'm <laughs> gonna see i'm following toby we'll see where it goes okay hey we little so much in this brain special announcement though i did a little math and i believe that oh. the, the 23rd of november will be if we continue our current pace <laughs> The 100th value after hours episode. So we'll have we will to have something. to do something special. The 23rd, mark your calendars. You know, it was Halloween. We forgot to dress up for Halloween. We missed it. Oh, yeah. Because I had, I had to do it early. So I was, I was worried about that one. Did you go as uh, Hugh Hendry again? <laughs> no, I was, I was a nightmare this year. Oh, what was Which it? A is... chart, chart of the value drawdown? <laughs> Literally nobody else would have got it, but I no, it was like a it's a it's a unicorn it's colored black with like a unicorn horn. It's pretty funny. My kids loved it. Big jumpsuit that I can use year after year after year. Perfect. All right. Would you, would you do JT? Uh, I didn't do anything. I just uh, <laughs> wah, wah. I watched the World Series instead. <laughs> you guys didn't go out. Well, the kids did. Yeah, but I didn't dress up. I mean, I was I, my older Vader. one, like he went to a real party. Like he just was off like, oh, yeah. doing his own thing. Now that's that's a different world. Too now old. Me. Yeah, my daughter was out front with the with the. Well, they didn't want to be anywhere near us. Mm. What'd you do, BB? I was Darth Vader. We went trick or treating. Kids had a good time. Yours nice. are all about the same vintage as mine, right? So they're still they're still into it. My little fella, my three year old, discovered that if you go up to the door and knock and say trick or treat, they give you candy. So he was just he was unstoppable. Super he went, amped. Every yeah. single house, trick or treat. Thank you. Like, that's what he was trying to say. 
and you just add sugar to that and it just spirals even deeper into only two pieces mate and mum and dad have to inspect the candies no homemade stuff no uh (laughs) no big chocolate bars they got confiscated got to teach them early about what the government does tax oof I like it. Yeah, Tax for your protection. I've been trying to avoid some of the candy, but I'm not very good at it. It's unfortunate because it makes me fat and then I feel bad about myself and then I eat more. It doesn't even taste that good in the moment, but for some reason it's really hard to stop eating it. Huh? Yeah. It's made that way. Ugh. Just... Should I kick it off? Please. Sure. So Rich Pizzina, um, He's uh for folks who don't know, he was one of the co-authors of one of Greenblatt's early papers, and he runs his own. He runs a firm's multi-billion-dollar firm. Um, they're very quantitative value approach, similar to mine. Um, and I've just managed to just lose my tweet. Hold on. So, two two interesting things that they pointed out. The first is that um. The cheapest quintile, so that's the cheapest 20%, one-fifth of US and non-US stocks have a 10-year average revenue growth rate of 6 and 8%, which is pretty healthy growth. That's that's um, faster than inflation, maybe, faster than official inflation. And 10-year average returns on equity of 17%, that's the US stocks, and 13%, that's the non-US stocks. So the, uh, the S&P 500 average return on equity is 13.3%. 2.6% if you want to be exact. So 17% is a premium. So we're finally at the point where the the value stocks are better than the rest of the market. Kind of interesting. So wait, that's over, what was the time frame of this, this is measurement? Now. This is Q3. Well, no, this but the, the ROE measurement of what time frame? 10-year average returns on equity. Wow. All right. That kind of rhymes with 99 a little bit, right? Starting to get there. Um, the other one is the forward-looking. So those are backwards-looking. This is the forward-looking one. Analysts project value stocks to grow earnings at more than 20% CAGR through 2023, compound annual growth rate. And those guys are never miss. They, they don't. Never. If anything, they're, they're too pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're probably shooting to the upside there. A higher rate than projected for growth stocks. That's the most important part. Okay. And we can buy these growing high-quality value businesses for prices at 60% or more discounted to growth. That's a pretty good setup if you're a value guy. Mm. Of course, on the back of that, I saw Tesla's rocketed to new all-time highs, and it's about a double from its for this year. So, this is an easy game. Obviously, easy. Why did Tesla come back to life? I don't fucking know. We talk about this. We've been wrong on this thing forever. We obviously don't know anything about it. Uh, and we continue to speculate. That's Ron a nice would imply that we we were we are actually saying anything important about it. We're just we're just observing and yeah. and curious. I have no. I mean, I have no view anymore. I just I just I, I saw that uh, Chris Bloomstrom had another uh, tweet thread on it. I don't disagree with anything he says. He's exactly right. I just think it's kind of futile at this point. Well, to be fair, it's been futile for like a year. You know, it was uh, it, it was like it topped out in February 12th and it had been falling pretty consistently. The funny thing is that ARK hasn't participated as much along with Tesla this time. She's been lightening up on Tesla a little bit. I don't know why. 
Yeah, if, I you got got nothing. A, if you got a 3000 price target, why would you, and it's easy money, why would you ever unload? Well, she has been. I don't know. I don't know how that works. It could be flows, could be anything. Yeah, so that, that, that someone says they sold 100, John Battle, they sold 100,000 cars. They didn't though. Musk came out today and said they haven't signed the deal. It just, it, I, I just don't understand what we're doing. I don't understand why people are talking about it. There's, there's obviously people are, are valuing this thing on what they think it's going to be 10 years from now. It clearly drives me. It? I, I think some people are doing it. I think value investors that are just like, hey, it's just a car company. This is stupid. Aren't open to the other arguments that people that have made a fuck ton of money have made. And I think a lot of people that think they're doing fundamental analysis have gotten blown up shorting it. Um, I, I don't know. Like it's either one of the biggest bubbles in history or people are missing it. And uh, it's just one of those things that I Which think. Which way do you lean? I, I don't even care. I, I lean that I would never short it and I wouldn't waste brain power on it. I was watching, I was looking at a Model Y. I thought the lines on it sucked. Uh, like the actual assembly on it, I thought was pretty bad. And then I thought, eh, no one cares. So why would I? My grandma got one in 2012. I thought it was the most amazing thing I've ever driven. Uh, she's got a Model 3 now. I find it ironic that she totaled it driving out of the garage and they just couldn't fix it. I don't understand it. I don't understand how they're going to become a power company without being basically what Berkshire is today. It doesn't matter. Elon's a genius, shoots people to the moon, and uh, people want to put a value on it, and it's worth what people are paying. That's, wow. that's my whole take. It's worth what people are paying? Sure. What do I care? <laughs> Buy it. Everyone that thinks, you know, whatever, go place your bets. Otherwise, it's all talk. You can think it's overvalued without shorting it. Like it's it's lunacy to short it because it can clearly, it's completely unhinged from fundamentals. So it can go anywhere from here, but it doesn't mean that it's not unhinged from fundamentals. It's still, it's not what I did a little valuation the other day, just just for laughs. There's your first and, error. Uh, yeah. So I get to $35 per share, which Ooh. I'll give you, I'll give you 20 bucks for it. With a margin of safety. <laughs> That's my margin yeah. of safety. Yeah. Twenty bucks. And you know, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's necessarily guaranteed at thirty five bucks either. At, and paying twenty, I think there's still some risk in it. Anyway, my two cents. Is that pre split? <laughs> That's right now. Okay. That's that I mean, was like look, a few weeks ago. Anyone that is looking at the current business and thinks that they can value that, I think they're doing it wrong. And I think that if you're looking at what you think it's going to be in 20 years and then you place high certainty on that, I think you're doing it wrong too. So uh, there's somewhere in the gray area that- I was very made. generous with my valuation. I, I, was, I had some pretty optimistic assumptions in there. Yeah, I, dude, I don't know. I don't spend time on it. I don't care about it. And but I'm it does not have to fund to itself. It does have to fund itself. I did, I did make it so that it did have to like find the capital to do what it's going to do. That might have depressed. The capital the is unlimited. Still got to sell the shares. You could sell shares, man. But there's a there's an effect when you sell the shares. It dilutes you. It dilutes you a little bit. You got to. I I would actually I would argue that it I I don't actually think that's true. I think that if he sold shares here, it's basically a negative cost of capital. Yeah, I understand the point, but you're still getting diluted. Yeah, I guess, but I, I would argue that you're probably underweighting the growth. I put in some pretty optimistic assumptions. Well, we'll see, man.
might be a lot of people that lose a lot of money. Won't be me and I won't care. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching it. I, I don't have any position long or short. I'm, I'm out of it completely. Yeah. I mean, I don't, dude, I don't know. We'll see. What's the interesting? World's changing. Is it really, though? I, I saw. So, anybody catch Raul? Pa, Raul, how do you say it? Raul Pal? His, uh, his tweet thread. He no. said that um, basically that NFTs and, and all of these things that like. Toby's gone. Oh, no. He was just about to unveil the. I know how the world just... has changed. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. NFTs. And then you broke up. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the Raul Powell threat is essentially that we've all missed it and that there's a new world and it's, oh, and it's, uh, uh, my internet connection is unstable. Sorry, guys. Um, evidently, uh, it's a brand new world. It feels that way, but uh, I don't think well, so. What, wait, 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 wait. What, what is he saying? He's saying that we all missed it and it's a brand new world. What does that mean? I, JT, what does that mean? Um, get, get long NFTs? Yeah, I believe uh, in NFTs. I think people that laugh at NFTs are closed-minded. Yeah, somebody, somebody said the summary of Rails thread was YOLO. I think that's right. Mm. Yeah, but I guess I, I just don't um, I just don't understand. I, I need to know more because I actually do think that uh, that he could be pretty right about certain things. I also think he's it's a very long tweet thread. I think yeah, well, my my takeaway from it was that uh, boomers aren't going to get this, and that young people, because they've been put so far behind the eight ball with student debt and you know kind of crap jobs potentially, that they they're not looking to make a two X on anything. Like that's a waste of their time. And it's not, it's two X is too small for that small of a starting base. So they need hundred X stuff. So that's what they're going to be looking for. And that's what they're going to participate in. And that's what they're quotationally going to, to move. So that's, that's where you don't want to miss it. Yeah. They just well, had to pick those hundred X's. It's not lately. You just buy <laughs> shit coins. Yeah, I don't know if that's a sustainable investment strategy, though. Mm. Like, I, I like that, you know, I like the, the idea of uh, blockchain. I like the idea of Bitcoin, and I can see a utility for NFTs. I still don't want to go and speculate in that stuff. I don't speculate on other currencies. I'm not going to jump into that stuff. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty lukewarm on all this. I, I, uh, I, I think that it is 100% inevitable that virtual reality takes up a lot of our time. And I think it's, uh, it's reasonably probable that some of these early NFT projects will be in like virtual museums like uh, current artists. And I think that the owners of it may get paid. All and 10, I, I don't, I mean, I, that's the, just what I think. All 10,000 owners of the crypto punks are going to get paid. Uh, I mean, I think some, how many do you need in, the, in the museum? I don't know. I don't know how to do art, but I, I don't. I, I think that people that are laughing at it and don't understand the digital art. I'm not laughing at the. I'm not laughing. I understand. At the thing. I'm laughing doing. at the, the price action. Well, dude, people are fucking punting. Like, who cares? Well, it's a podcast. What else am I going to talk about? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I guess I guess the thing that frustrates me is like I just think that a lot of people are so convinced that. Uh, 
like people have to have an opinion on a lot of stuff and it's like just you know if people want to do shit on nfts like i i just hope that if it all blows up it doesn't take everything down with it and same with tesla and same with a lot of the speculation but i also think that like the three of us do have to acknowledge that we've missed a lot of huge fucking trends focusing on current profitability i mean that's objectively true uh, and I think value investors in general would have been a lot better off. I miss not- Beanie Babies too, man. I miss that completely. Okay, but, soft- stuff. but software is not a Beanie Baby, right? Well, the, the product I, I think- of it might be. Like, it's, it's, not, it's just the fact that it's wrapped up in technology. It's, got, it's on a blockchain. Like, who cares? I can get a ledger, stick some moon property on the, uh, or stick stars on the ledger and sell stars. You know, now yeah. you got a little bit, now you got a little note from me that says that you own a star. You can hand it off to your kids. Well, that doesn't make it valuable. I think that a lot of crypto and NFT stuff is similar to 1999 right now, but there was a lot of stuff in 1999 right that the changed the world. So I think this could change the world. And if people want to bet that it will, they're free to. But this is like, this, the, what we're all trying to do here, at least what I'm trying to do here is value stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to speculate on it. Like it's... All of this stuff will have will have a run up and it'll run back down. And there may be some useful applications that may generate money. And then I'll go and have a look at them then. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a totally rational way to approach investing your money. JT. I just, I just think a lot of people are playing. I Forget about the NFT thing. Like, and, and put Tesla to the side. I think that in general, the value community has got to look itself in the mirror. And if they're not going to do it, over the last 10 years, I don't know when they're going to do it and say, like looking at current economics and not thinking about what something may become in the future. It's like, it's like the best in minder paper that you sent JT, right? Like uh, revenue growth, asset growth, that stuff is driving returns. And uh, you know, maybe we are in the end of a bubble and maybe that's the wrong lesson, but um, I also think learning a little from it goes a long way. And part of why maybe I'm on edge is like, I see the, all this shit that the Bloomstrand episode, you know, pulled up and like, people are just like yelling at each other at this point. They're not even listening to each other. And it's a shame because I think both camps could learn from each other. Hmm. I didn't enjoy that uh, episode, by the way. Thank you. What, uh, what is it in NFTs? So, so this is this is my 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 perspective on this stuff. Is growth growth is incredibly hard to forecast. It's just it's just it's it's virtually impossible to do. You can get lucky getting positions in stuff that that take off, um, but it's just really really hard to do. Like you, you lose, use backward looking metrics. You can look at the the lay of the land, the economic incentives of everybody in it, and figure out where the growth is going to go, and you still be wrong. You do it most of the time. You're going to be wrong. Picking up these things and saying, I've seen the future and I'm participating. Like, to me, it's a little bit, uh, you know, emperor's new clothes, honestly. Yeah, that's fine. I like, mean, look- know, the reason I'm not in it is because I don't understand it. You know, <laughs> give me a yeah. break. It's not, it's not like it's like there's the technology and then there's a price section of the, of the thing. Yeah. Well, the, and I the mean, price look, section I- of the thing is ridiculous. The technology is interesting. That's fine. I, I don't care about NFTs specifically. Uh, I, I think that you could make the same argument for a lot of companies that have grown into really big things. And Yeah, 100%. I agree with you there. And I think that people would be uh, served well thinking about how big things can be in the future. 
for, for far too long, I focused on, I can't know the future. And I got myself into these so, like slow growth death traps. And it was because I said, you can't know the future. And I just, I, I'm just like radically done with that part of my life. See, I think a lot of this stuff is cyclical. It That's may the be. hardest thing about this. Everybody's looking in the wrong place because they've seen what's worked. And you need to be looking in the places that haven't worked because they're the places that are, you know, so coal has run a mile this year. Like there are reasons to not like coal for, uh, you know, the amount of carbon dioxide that it produces. But um, as, a, as a, an investment proposition, it was pretty interesting at the start of the year. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I agree. I understand why you run the strategy you run. Uh, I think it's a sound strategy for you to run. I also think that, that David Gardner's strategy is sound and there are different ways of looking at the world. And what I see, uh, at least it appears lately because I'm in a lot of, of these conversations that are tagged, this is just like two tribes just screaming at each other, acting as if their religion's correct. And, uh, you know, no religion is correct in my view. And I don't think this is all that different. I think maybe to, to abstract it a little bit, it is, it is an interesting question to, to pose. What, how does one advance and learn and incorporate new things and new understandings without drifting from principles of, uh, that you would be well served to hold fast to? What's the answer? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. You're the you're the philosophizer. Uh, well, I don't. I mean, Buffett. I, I don't, actually, I don't really know the a, a perfect answer to that. It's very difficult because it's it's such a slippery slope of thinking that you have some new insight, but maybe you're sort of learning the exact wrong lesson at the wrong time and are about to fight the last war, and it's it's the cycle has turned again. Yeah, maybe. So are you better off kind of staying where you're, where you were originally? And then therefore at least like one out of every four times you have a shot at being right. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I, I don't think, I don't think anyone that I admire has kept a fixed frame set frame, like mindset. I don't any of them. Buffett drifted. I think Munger drifted. Uh, I don't know. Like I, I tweeted today. I think a young Buffett would be in crypto, a hundred percent. And people laugh at that, but like the ARB opportunities and that are crazy. And I think that if you listen to him, I, I think what's interesting is that he says, if I were young, I would play in like these nooks and crannies of of markets. And then God forbid, I suggest that crypto is a nook and cranny that somebody might see ARB opportunities in. And it's like people's brains explode. How do you ARB crypto? Like, what do you do? Like one coin you can versus sell a another? Future. Yeah, you can sell a future on coins. And you got like different exchanges that have spreads on it. Um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not the one that's competent to do it, but I, I am interested in finding a manager that is. Hmm. You think there are people who are just mopping that up right now? This is like, uh, you know, 
poker in 2003 when everyone got sucked into it and it was just the golden age for sharks to come and feast. Yes. I think people are making a shit ton of money in those markets because they're applying advanced principles to a really inefficient market. And then I think a bunch of value guys are like, it's all a bubble. Don't even look. And it's like, okay, but I think people are making a lot of money there. People made a lot of money in tulips. If you could sell tulip futures and you could collect on the counterparty risk and the underlying crash to zero, you still made money. That's what ARB is, right? Like, I mean, it's a big, you got to be comfortable with counterparty risk on your financial contract, but that doesn't make it a bad trade. Nobody is in those NFT things because, I mean, or, or the very vast majority, like 99, like five Sigma nines are in there because it's, they go up a hundred times. I Not know, because there's so- an ARB opportunity in there. Maybe, maybe Hofstein's in there, ARBing stuff. He might be the yes. only Yeah. That's the whole point. Like, isn't that the kind of market that you want to exploit inefficiency in? Absolutely. But I just don't think that's what most people are doing in there. Most people are in there buying them and hoping that they go up a hundred times. But I don't care what most people are doing. I'm pissed off at myself because I'm not the one exploiting them. Like, how can I look at what's going on there? And I don't, I can't even articulate how to do ARB. That's a, that's, I'm like disappointed in me for that. Isn't it just lending to somebody else so they can speculate on it? And they're just very high rates that you're lending it. I don't know. I mean, if that's all it is, then why the fuck haven't I figured out how to do it? Like high rates and lending in a collection is a pretty good business last time I checked. I mean, I can direct you some people who know about that stuff. I would like to talk to them. Uh, You can, there's more noble ways to, to conduct your affairs, Bill. Don't worry about missing something like this. Yeah. I don't care about noble. I'm here to make money. (laughs) Nobility is the only thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, people tell you that, you know, making money in energy stocks isn't noble. People tell you that making cigarette money isn't noble. Uh, You know, I smoke weed. Some would say that's not noble. So I, uh, I don't mind taking advantage of those that are punting. I don't know. I don't zero sum games, not find, find positive sum games to play. Yeah, I'm, I'm clearly, I don't know, some of this Bloomstrand stuff has gotten under my skin and that's what that's a lot of what's coming out, I think. It's just, it's annoying to, to, to see, uh, it's annoying to see people talk directly past each other and be so convinced that both sides are right. Yeah, well, such is human nature. Yeah. You need to, I mean, to, if you're not an NFT and you don't have some very specialized knowledge about either market making or the technology underneath, then you're speculating. There's nothing wrong with that. You just got to recognize what you're doing and you might want to allocate a smaller portion of your portfolio to it than if you're investing. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, I have none of my portfolio invested in that stuff. I just, you know. There are a few other people listening to the podcast who I'm talking to when I'm talk, yeah. talking that stuff. That's fair. It's a group therapy session here. <laughs> JT, you want to do your uh sure your we'll do some do some veggies. Uh so I recently came across this decision making framework that's called QNevin, and it's spelled C-Y-N-E-F-I-N. So nothing like what you would say reading it and say QNevin. And that is because it is a Welsh word for habitat or maybe familiar. Um and so a lot of this is, uh, was created by this guy named David Snowden, who worked at IBM in the 90s. And he was looking for ways to kind of help categorize their IP. Uh, he worked in their 
they kind of had like a almost a university ish arm at IBM at that time. Anyway, uh, and he wrote it up in a uh, an a Harvard Business Review 2007 article that was called A Leader's Framework for Decision-Making. Uh, and what it is is basically like trying to understand the environment that you're in before choosing sort of your leadership style um, and decision-making style. So he categorizes it into five different domains, um, simple, complicated, complex, chaotic, and disorder. And so I thought we might work through some of these to see like what are the differences and, and what, what might be applicable. So the first one, the first environment is what he would call like simple, obvious, or clear, or you know maybe what Rumsfeld would have called known knowns. So um, in this place, like rules and best practices uh, are what are called for. Like it's clear cause and effect. Uh, you know, it's sort of mechanical in nature often how things are connected. Um, you can take you can reduce things to their constituent parts and then put them back together. Um, and that will then allow you to understand like, and there's not a lot of slot of slack and, and slop in the system. And so in that, they call it like sense categorize and respond. Um, and what you have to be careful there is like, be careful about complacency. And so I think, you know, when you, you look at where, um, like 3G has done well, has been in businesses that I think that are a little bit more like this, like where it's more simple and obvious, you know, beer brewing and maybe some food. But as things have moved into these other domains, uh, perhaps their style doesn't maybe match as well. Um, so, you know, this is all about efficiencies and like zero-based budgeting makes perfect sense in this kind of world. Um, and there's a really good book actually that's, boy, it's probably 10 years old now, but um, kind of off the beaten path, but it's called Work the System. And it is basically like, how would you, any time a problem comes up, like you write a procedure to figure out how to solve it so that you don't spend time like reinventing the wheel and you can create a very efficient organization. I think it works well in that environment. Okay, the next one is called Complicated. And this is what Rumsfeld might call known unknowns. Um, so here's where expertise is useful. Like, you know, engineers, surgeons, lawyers, um, you know, like you hear the knocking in the engine, but like, you don't really know exactly which part is wrong. Like you need a mechanic to figure that out and fix it for you. It's complicated. Um, where you can fall into problems there is, is analysis paralysis. And um, in this, they say to like sense, analyze, and then respond. Um, so it's not so much categorizing, but is like really digging in and analyzing, like making it the complicated, uh, less complicated. Um, and then the next one is complex, which we've talked about this a lot before, right? Complexity and different environments. And, um, and these would be the unknown unknowns. And, you know, this is, it's impervious to reductionism. Like you can't take the parts, you can't take all of the parts and separate them and look at them and then put it back together and think that you understand it, right? Like there's an emergence to it. Uh, like, Complicated would be a Ferrari and complex would be like a rainforest, right? So, um, or as, as Taleb has said, like, um, that's the difference between a cat and a washing machine. Uh, and a lot of times our, maybe our, our financial overlords view things more as a washing machine when it might be more like a cat and you can't really take it apart the way that they do. Um, and this would describe things like battlefields and markets and ecosystems and you know, cause and effect are really only deducible in retrospect. So um, I think 
this is probably where you want to look more to bet on optionality. And maybe this gets back to what you were talking about, Bill, with having, um, I think maybe like a more staunch sort of maybe even academic value uh, lens of the world makes you a little bit blind to optionality of what things could turn into. And so if you're operating in a very simple, obvious, clear environment, then yeah, uh, buy something that's cheap. And that's like the only answer, right? And it's very proceduralizable and it, it makes some sense. Uh, and even if complicated, like, oh, I could take this business apart and I can see that it's, uh, you know, I'm going to count the cash that's going to be available. And now I can put it back together in maybe a bankruptcy or something. Um, but when you start getting into complex environments, it gets really hard to take it apart. And therefore, you might be better off sometimes betting on optionality. Uh, and so, uh, in this, they would say to probe, sense, and then respond. So you're, you really have to like look at it and make little adjustments along the way and like just try to like baby step your way through it because there's no clear path through a complex, you know, um, a complex environment. The fourth one is called chaotic. And this is like cause and effect are completely unclear. Uh, and you basically need to take action first and then find stability somewhere, like find a sense of stability and then respond uh, to the chaos and try to turn that chaos into maybe back towards complexity or maybe complicated. Um, and so this was like one of the examples they use is like uh, Rudy Giuliani at like 9-11 was obviously a hugely chaotic event, right? Like New York turned into like a crazy place for a short period of time. And, and Giuliani's top down kind of command and control approach actually worked well. Like it was just like, we got to do something now. Right. But then later, as it was like, you know, putting the pieces back together and more elections and um, trying to find uh, back to some semblance of running New York, like his command and control of a complex system didn't really work very well. And like he was sort of viewed as a dictator and draconian and like got kicked out basically. Right. So the leadership style didn't match what was called for at that time period. Um, what's ironic maybe is that in that chaotic place that it's actually the ripest for innovation because like the, there's the most sort of degrees of freedom to try new things. Um, and then the last uh, place is called disorder, which is that's basically if you're just not even sure which of the four categories that you're in, you're in this, this no man's land of like, who knows what the hell's going on here. I can't even I don't even know where we are on the map, more, more or less which domain. So, uh, and you're trying to get out of that and find which domain you're into. So I thought it was kind of an interesting breakdown of um, different decision-making environments and maybe just keeping that in the back of your head, whatever you're navigating, like what's one of these might be called for based on on the the environment that I'm in. Can you just run through them again? The, the, the yeah, sorry, just run through. Is, were there, there are four, and then the fifth one is you don't know which one you're in. Yeah, fifth one is kind of like the empty set. Um, you know, it's not, we don't even have, we don't even know which of the four we're in, but it's simple, complicated, complex, and chaotic. And then disorder. And so you, your, your first step is to try and figure out which one you're in. And if it's obvious, then you're, you're in whichever one you're in. And if you can't figure it out, you're in disorder and you probably got to treat it like it's chaotic until you figure out, you use that same process maybe to figure out where you are. Right. Yeah. And then figuring out which one you're in will dictate what style, like how you should approach trying to wrap your mind around it. And like, what's the smart thing to do at that juncture. 
Where, where do you encounter chaotic in an investment context? Um, NFTs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I would probably say like in a, in a, like a, a market meltdown probably would fall into the chaotic, like you almost need to take some action to just stabilize, you know, yourself a little bit and figure out where you are and what your game plan is. Ideally, you've already thought about that and you're, you're pre-planning at least like some kind of a game plan will allow you to shift what would be chaotic, maybe more towards complex or complicated um, as opposed to just fully like, I don't even know where the next punch is coming from, but it can be difficult. Like, especially if you're trying to be opportunistic, like you don't know what's going to go on sale or why, and like how convincing is the, the reason behind it. And it's a lot easier always in retrospect to think that, Oh yeah, if I was, I saw those prices at that time, of course I would have been a buyer, right? Like, um, I mean, how many people yeah. nailed March of last year very, very well, like, and just talk, tip talk or uh, bottom ticked March of 2020. Uh, not probably less, less than who say they did, right? <laughs> yeah, need to audit that one. Yeah, I feel like uh, value is probably somewhere between simple and complicated. And I think if you're, if you're looking at growth stuff, it's probably more like at the complex end of it where... Um, you know, you're better off taking little positions and letting them kind of grow on themselves. Like it's that, it's that self-iteration or the self-reinforcement is the thing that creates the really good growth stories. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's a big, that's a big takeaway is because it complex requires iterative kind of thinking because it's always changing on you and you don't know exactly what, how the pieces are going to interact as, as the story unfolds. But you want that optionality, right? You want to buy that optionality. So you got to come up with some way of like working out what the opportunity is there. Like what's the upside? What's the cost of playing here? What's the likelihood of success? Yeah. And especially if you can kind of figure out like if, if that optionality is being discounted. So I think like you could probably make the argument that 2015, there's a fair amount of optionality in some growthier companies that was not being appropriately priced right yes as uh we've pointed out in hindsight times, how, how wrong <laughs> we got that one yeah nailed it what's the book called this is not a book this was just an article uh and a and some wikipedia <laughs> googling that i did but so what, uh, what 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 are we what's the word that we need to can you just spell that word again yeah it's c-y-n-e-f-i-n Q Nevin. And actually where I saw it was um, there was a, a woman from the CIA who had been working there for 30 years who did a presentation um, that was sort of like a TED-ish talk, but um, she talked about this and it was the first I'd heard of it. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll go kick the tires on that a little bit. And it turned out it was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Look for, look, look for a hedge fund with that name. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Except it's so hard to say. <laughs> no one's going to get it right. Oh, that doesn't stop them. But sound of an all right. Uh, throw you, throw your. Uh, I was going to say throw your jokes in, throw your questions in. Jokes so, are even better. Hey, real quick, this is from the uh, the lessons from Besson Binder that uh, Bailey Gifford had. So the four big ones that you want to look for is strong crash accumulation, uh, rapid organic growth, 
larger drawdowns in the prior decade, I think is kind of interesting. And then higher R&D spending. I assume that's relative to peers, but that's kind of what you're looking for on average, if you want to pick the outliers. These would be the 4% or whatever that Besson Binder identifies as carrying the the entire weight of the the index's returns, right? Uh, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And these are the four hallmarks of those... 4%. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, I think they came up with like twenty two things, but those are the big four. Okay. I sometimes wonder if strong cash uh, accumulation, like they don't offset that with share based comp, right? So that I wonder how they would adjust for that, or I, if they would. I wondered about that research a little bit. How backwards looking that is. Like if you if you look at the current winners in the market. And, you know, one of them is strong cash accumulation and the other of the big four was like, uh, you know, an extra or large volatility in the preceding decade. Yeah, big drawdown, yeah. Big drawdown. Yeah, not exactly the case with a lot of these yet. (laughs) But it was true. I mean, it was true of like Google or Amazon or Apple. Oh, yeah. But I'm just saying like, I don't don't think... um... I, I mean, I don't, I'm going to use the wrong stock, but like Zoom, I don't know that Zoom's had, uh, I mean, I know it's drawn down 50% uh, now, but that, that wasn't the prior decade, right? And uh, like these drawdowns that they cite are like really big, not, uh, I don't even know that 50% would count. What does that drawdown, like why? Bank of be- America, right? Bank of America drew down 69%, Oracle drew down 77%, Apple 80% drawdown, Netflix 80% drawdown. Like those are drawdowns. Amazon. Like what's the causal mechanism for why a a big drawdown in the decade before would have any reason for us to say like, well, yeah, that's going to be a mega winner. I kind of wonder if it's a little bit like the NFT thing that we were talking about before, where it's like a technology that people think could be really, really big, but then it gets punched in the face with some reality and then people kind of puke it. But then the thing that the first people actually saw starts to materialize. I have no idea. So like Carlotta Perez's uh, technological innovations. Is that the hype cycle? Is that the gut in the hype cycle? It's close. Yeah. But it's the same idea. Yeah. It gets ahead of itself initially. A euphoric phase and then usually a washout and then an installation phase when like, Oh, this actually like does something valuable. Yeah. It becomes the norm and then it becomes boring. Yeah. I think we're in the euphoria phase in a lot of NFT projects. I agree with, I agree with you that the trading is probably closer to gambling than anyone actually valuing it. But I I do think there's something there, there. I do too. I, I just, I can't separate it out from the, I I think that the the technology is interesting that to figure out, you know, it's a, you know, I've seen people using it for conferences and things like that. Buy your NFT. Now you've got access to a conference. So it's like a ticket. Like that makes sense. And there's clearly there. Are... Why does that have to be on a distributed ledger? Well, what if it's a, what if it's a rock concert and there's like, you, you don't want, you don't want the, um, the scalpers getting the tickets and then reselling them to somebody else. So you just like, you've got to be the person who bought the ticket directly. Yeah. From the, the... Isn't and that, then maybe that gets rid that of the just live demo. on, on, uh, Ticketmasters internal. Don't be such an ledger. old man. Don't be such an old man. <laughs> it doesn't need to be. What if, what if you go in? What if you go into your VR world and you want to go into the Board Ape op- Yacht Club? But in order to enter that club, and it's like this virtual world that they've built out that's like super kick ass because they've been working on it for a while. But in order to get there, you got to own an avatar. That may not matter to many people, but like people pay 
tons of money to get into like a real golf course. So I don't know, is this definitely sure. going to be that much different? I'm not, I don't think so. Um, but it's a long ways off that I will agree with. That's a pretty big bet to be making today that there will be this future, like, and the, that picture of a, like a 12 bit picture of a monkey is going to be the golden ticket to, yeah, no to doubt. the world that you want to enter. I agree. I just happen to think that those monkey tickets may be evidence of one of the first like online communities that sort of believed in this stuff. And I know they weren't the first. I know there were like crypto kitties before that and stuff. But I think what the apes are doing is sort of different. Uh, very specific question here. Thoughts on the iron ore giants like BHP, Vali? or Rio down about 50% of the highs, massive dividends, even after the price of iron all crashed Chinese steel to ramp back up post Olympics. I don't do cyclicals really and commodities. Yeah. I think you need some specialized knowledge that I've uh, lost some money playing the, the other side of that, the tail end of, uh, of, uh, the, well, you wouldn't the be Australian if you didn't speculate in raw materials. I wouldn't have called it speculation at the time. I oh, thought I was sorry. investing, but it doesn't <laughs> it didn't help. Uh, evidently, the iron ore price can't. Can, that's that's where I learned the lesson that there is no bottom for some commodity, some commodity prices. Yeah, I mean, I've got a small lumber position on, and I happen to talk every day with somebody who's so intimately wood. involved on it, and uh, it's terrifying. I, I, I would not. I would not know anything about commodities outside of the ones that I own. And I barely know anything about those. What do you think that, do you think there's any connection between the like Tesla running back up and the, what the NFTs? Like I kind of feel like there's been this moving bubble and it's, I don't want to say bubble sort of pejorative. I don't want to call it a bubble, like this moving enthusiasm. speculation, enthusiasm. That might be better. Yeah. Um, and it went from, you know, probably Tesla, and then it shifted into, you know, I don't know, AMC or GameStop or something like that. And then it shifted into the, I mean, it's been in, it's been in the crypto. Avis now apparently, huh? rental car company. Is it Avis? Yeah. I guess it's car. Been, is that, is that CAR? That's been running today, I guess. Was up. Yeah. Any thoughts? What, what's, what's, is there anything that I you might talk about ever takes, tries to pump mine like that? I don't get it. Yeah. I think Curate should be. Curate needs to get round, rammed upward, huh? It, it seems as though it could be a meme stock. I'm not, I'm not above selling to the memers. Though some people have expressed that they're disappointed. I said that once and somebody was like, I'm disappointed in you for saying that. I said, yo, man, I'm just playing the markets that exist. Disappointed in you for saying what? That I wouldn't mind if Curate got memed and that I flipped it for like $20 billion or something like that. <laughs> what, you're on the human, mate. I know, right? If someone wants to pay me a silly price for my stuff too, they can have it. Yeah, it's a liquid market, I'm not, man. I'm not planning Somebody... to die with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, world. Dave C., do you guys have a particular filter screener when searching for companies and which filters do you use? ROSCP. Yeah, I use uh, EBITDV as my first cut and then I look for some quality. I'm, I mean, I've, I screen less now than I used to. That's because any sort of rationality has, uh, has left the market. What you, what you got to do is not screen for stuff. Look at what's trending on Twitter. That's how you find it. 
I think. Yeah, I mean that is a good joke, but I think. <laughs> I I don't know. I just um. There's sort of a serendipity to, you know, just kicking the tires on anything that comes in, however it gets there, screening or otherwise, that I think can be worthwhile. And if you're screening only, I just, I just, it's, it's likely to have been so picked over at this point that it's really difficult to, to use that as kind of your only input. The only top of the only, to have that as your only part of the top of the funnel, I think is probably suboptimal. Yeah. You get this um, issue that everything comes in and out of favor. And so it's when it's in favor, it, it's picked over and when it's out of favor, it's not working. So you definitionally uh, need to change as often as you possibly can to, for whatever's working. That's how you outperform. <laughs> I like that plan. That's a good plan. Oh, come on now. <laughs> First order thinking. Area man goes, goes full momentum. <laughs> it worked for, I mean, it worked for ARC last year. That was just a heavy concentration of the NASDAQ highest momentum nasdaq stocks i don't mind momentum allocations like uh that makes sense to me i think even momentum's had a had not a great year this year i don't know what has worked this year but maybe just maybe it's only growth again yeah i don't know i i don't i don't think so a lot of growth names have gotten hurt this year yeah Corey, especially since like march have you, as you, I haven't got your, I haven't looked at your screener for a little while, but you tell us what's been working for the last 12 months. He left to go do something. He did. Important. He came, he, That's he came, right. in, he came yeah. in to throw some emojis and disappeared. Yeah. He went back to the beach. Yeah. I was at the beach earlier watching tarpon whale on, on a school of uh, bait fish. It was dope. Really? Thing came right out of the water. Yeah. It was cool. Man, What's a top on big fish? One with yeah. nature. Yeah, man. I'm outside a fair amount now, which is nice. Did Burry win in spades his Tesla short? No, he did not, Samson. Good good point. Samson owns a little bit of Tesla. Likes to come in and remind us every now and again. Now a lot of bit, I guess. Yeah. Fair play to him. Bank of America's up 60% this year. Financials are working. Really? That's that much, huh? That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, what would rates? I mean, that's that just uh, people expecting the NIM to blow out with rates going up or something? No, nah, low base. You're coming off of big credit loss fears. The question is, Corey, Corey's, Corey's back. The question is, uh, which of these strategies is working this year on your little dashboard? Factors, I guess, right? Is that what? Is it factors? Yeah, I guess it's a factor. He, he tracks the actual, uh, I think it's either ETFs or underlying names. Um, yeah, I think Samson. Bank of America, I think you got yourself a story of rates and, and credit losses. I think that's, if you sum it up, that's what it is. Samson wants to know who's right, ARC or Bloomstrand? I don't know. Over this is part frame? of what got me so heated not too long ago. Like, why don't we just not do this? <laughs> yeah. 
Who's right, Protestants or Catholics? Yeah. Go. Corey's got a question. (laughs) Corey's got a question. Here's my open question. Is value in public markets a dead play after it was financialized, ETFs, et cetera? Is it better for value investors to look in niche private corners? Yeah. Yes. That's the idea. Look look niche. Doesn't have to be private, but yeah, the more niche, the better. (laughs) My answer is Contrarian take. Is price to book niche at this point? Possibly. Yeah, uh, price to book sucks. <laughs> exactly. That's that's why it's niche now. Yeah, but Corey it's also nothing stupid. worked this year. Nothing's worked this year. <laughs> oh, good. Huh? Anti factor year. year. Interesting. There we go. There's the title for your year in paper, Corey. That might we might call that disorder in the uh, disorder. Yeah. Hugh Nevin world. Interesting. Full circle. Callback. <laughs> Value Stock Geek says QVAL was up 30% for the year. SY, SLYV up 30%. QQQ up only 23%. Yeah. I, yeah. I have updated the, uh, I occasionally update the RZV, which is small cap value versus uh, NASDAQ. And, and then also as players, uh, Shopify versus Bed Bath and Beyond. And sometimes <laughs> I'll, I will. I'll update those on my Twitter and like in the last, I I don't know, you could go look, but it's the value side of things is crushed. Those two like RZV is crushed QQQ and Bed Bath and Beyond is crushed Shopify. Corey says value and size both fell apart after an early lead, low vol getting crushed, junk ripping over quality. I had an interview with uh, Real Vision February, 2020, when I said that I thought that low volatility was going to get smashed so probably the only person who remembers that so there you <laughs> yeah, go. no one watched it that's a that's a niche take that's a yeah. niche take too oh we haven't had an inning update oh, <laughs> what, inning what, update. Inning what inning are we in i don't know i mean i i uh, this question to i said i said to you guys that there's been a lot of i think we might be past it all um, but I, I think it may have reset. Like, I don't, I don't know that that doesn't mean that we're going to crash, but uh, the melt up probably happened. It's been a lot of, a lot of carnage. I've been saying that for a little while now. It's not showing up in the index. Yeah, but that's because the big businesses are crushing. Hiding yeah, a lot of decay. It's underneath narrow, them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Small, but like that may just be the world. Six plus months now. Do you think breadth is useless now then as a, thing to keep your eye on i don't know i mean if everything implodes it's hard to argue google's gonna have like a ton of e on i mean it's gonna the e would suffer but like still man you you say what do you want to own for five or ten years i don't know coming up with a better argument than big tech here is pretty fucking hard for me like i mean fine berkshire you want to go like older economy i get it um but like I don't know. I think I, I think big tech's a good place to hide. Liquidation special situations up 24% in 2020, 33% 2021 year to date. Thanks, Wabuffo. Yeah, liquidations would be something that I would be interested in. I actually talked to Wabuffo about that not that long ago. That's a good approach in a market like this. That's a bubbly market if you can. And those are spectacular returns too and things that should be pretty uncorrelated to the market at least 
hopefully. What, what are you laughing at, JT? <laughs> Nothing, just that correlations have a correlation well in liquidation like liquidation you should be you should know what you're getting back out like there's going to be some there could be some mark to market on the in the before the liquidation comes around yeah then i I guess you got to know what they're holding to oh yeah that was fairly interesting so zillow got caught holding the bag on flipping houses they said in some regions it's like 93 percent of the houses are on the market below what they paid for them yeah it's a labor issue right but it was foreseeable perhaps that that was not a great business. Well, it was not as good a business to be in as, as the business that they had. Yeah. I don't know that. Uh, uh, look, the bulls have said to me, they didn't lose that much and it's still worth shooting the shot. So, I mean, in any big idea, losing a couple million bucks doesn't actually matter. We'll see where it all settles out. But like, even if it's a billion dollars, I just don't know that people are going to care. Aren't house prices at like all time highs though? Yeah, but they're going to, I mean, I think they're going to go higher. So they're, they're, they want to hold that inventory and don't turn it over because it's just getting more valuable all the time. (laughs) Well, they turn it quickly and they, they may, I mean, look, I, I understand it. I'm not going to say like go long Zillow. I'm just saying that the people that believe in the vision, I don't think that this particular issue of how we're characterizing holding the bag, I think those people look at this as a normal risk of growth. And I think that the people that are invested are still for pursuing the long-term plan. Hmm. So what they would say is you're drawing an incorrect conclusion from a data point that was unique due to a labor issue. Whether or not that's a flawed assumption, like we can argue that, but uh, I've talked to some bulls about it and they're not particularly concerned about this issue. Hasn't it always been the case though? There's always some, like every single cycle, someone says, look at how the house prices are going. Let's go and buy a whole lot of house prices and flip them up. Like let's do it at scale rather than, you know, letting all these individual or like smaller businesses do. We'll go and see how big we can run this thing up. And then inevitably every single time this happens. I, I don't know enough history to, to say yes or no. It would, it would make some sense. Um, but I, I don't know, like they're not, they're not planning on holding it. I, I don't, I have no fucking clue. They're just a big house flipper in my view, but they think they have a data advantage and they charge huge they fees, according to my real estate guy, they charge like 7%. So they're getting another percent and then they're going to probably jam people on the loan. Cause it's easy in one stop shop. I don't know. It could work. What's the 7% fee? Like they charge like a commission. Seven percent. Yeah. Well, I think the total. I. I think. I mean, I'm just. I was having a conversation with my buddy who's in real estate, and I said, "Do you use Zillow for anything?" And he was like, "No, not anymore." And what he said is, he was like, "Their fees are are pretty high." He's a Compass, so he's betting on a different model. I. I actually like Compass's model a fair amount. Um, hmm. Amigos, that's time. All right. Yes. We barely we'll, uh, got we'll, it over the finish line. <laughs> we'll be back next week because uh, we got to get that hundredth episode in the bag. Is it going to be a hundred? No, not next week, but the twenty third November. Twenty third. Ah. That's exciting. Yeah. All right, folks, that was fun. <laughs>